Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, let's start by praying. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up a new letter in your word. And I pray that we wouldn't just be reading a letter, but it would be reading us, Lord, and that we would not just be in the word, but the word would be in us to your glory. So open up our hearts and our minds and our wills to you. You say that your sheep hear your voice, Lord. Now we just pray that uh, the church would hear what the spirit is saying. Pray that you take away distraction, Lord, that you take away what's going on after other things that we've got going on. And you just bring to mind your precious word into our hearts. And we, we filter everything through that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, we're, we've been making our way through the, what are called the pastor epistles. The word epistle just means letter. And so it's a Christianese way of saying letter. And so now you're all educated. You got extra uh, credit there, but we've gone through first Timothy and we've gone through the book of Titus. And so there's first and second Timothy and Titus. Those are all uh, the pastoral epistles. And it's basically Paul writing to these pastors about how to govern the church in difficult circumstances. What do you do with leadership? What do you do with uh, the church that's kind of being taught all this crazy stuff by outsiders and such. And so as we've been making our way through, we started off with first Timothy, which was written by Paul to a young pastor named Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus. Paul had put him in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And, uh, he was writing much. It's pretty much similar to the book of Titus, but the church of, he was writing so that the church in Ephesus would have sound leaders. That was really important. And that uh, they would adhere to sound doctrine. They would teach the church uh, how to uh, live lives in accordance with the gospel that they believed and received. And that they would have good interaction and fellowship with one another that would be honoring to God. And also in their worship and it would be, uh, wouldn't be uh, all disorganized and crazy, but it would be honoring the Lord. And also how they would have a good godly witness to the people on the outside. And so leadership, discipleship, in witness. Those are the kind of the three things that uh, were the emphasis of both first Timothy and the book of Titus. And really um, chronologically first uh, Timothy is believed to be written first somewhere around uh, 64, 65 AD. So if some of you are into the timeline thing, that's about uh, when it was written, Nero's starting to go crazy at this time. Uh, Rome is burning. Uh, Christians are starting to be blamed for things. Persecutions on the uptick. Um, then in second Timothy, on the other hand, it was written a little bit later than these first two. So that's why we did first Timothy first and Titus chronologically. Now we're jumping back to the book of second Timothy, which is written somewhere around 67 AD. And while Paul is imprisoned a second time and, uh, Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, maybe possibly Troas. But the difference this time is that Nero, he's at the helm of Rome. And again, he set Rome on fire. Christians are blamed. There's persecution going on. So there's just an outright persecution against Christians at this time. So in 66, 67 AD, Paul is in prison. He's writing to Timothy. He's on trial and he's expecting fully to die. He's not expecting to get out of this. And most people believe that he dies. This is Paul's swan song. This is his last letter to the church that we have. 
And so second Timothy stands out in that respect and it's Paul's last words. And if you're taking notes just as far as, well, how do I understand? How is it broken up? Uh, how do I understand the sections of first Timothy three, three parts, basically uh, the first part would be chapter one uh, through verse through chapter two, verse 13. And this is Paul's call for Timothy uh, to persevere in his call in the midst of suffering persevere in his call in the midst of suffering. And then the second section, which is chapter two, verse 14 through chapter four, verse five, it's a call for Timothy to confront false teachers. There's a lot more in there, uh, but he's called to preach the word and all this type of stuff, but it's in the midst and the context of having to face so much difficulty. So um, uh, the second part is chapter two, 14 through chapter four, verse five. And it's a call for Timothy to confront false teachers. And thirdly, it's just chapter four, six through 22, chapter four, verses six through 22. And, and this is just Paul's final thoughts. He's asking for um, his cloak. He's asking for writing materials. He's asking for Timothy to come to him as he is suffering in prison. So if we are to look at the book as an entirety, as a theme, I would say it's a book that would call us to look at God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering and to persevere in that. And so we're going to get more into the historical context and background as we go. But so let's begin with our study through second Timothy and we'll begin in verse one, which says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is I want you to keep in this in, in, in mind that Paul is not just throwing words around here. When he says something, he's setting himself. It's, it's, it's as if, and I'm going off script here. He is, he's saying something that he wants to unwrap later. And so he'll say something kind of like you're taught how to do an essay. Here's your heading. And then he explains it later. And that's kind of what's going on here. He begins, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I'll explain more later. But as we've often seen, Paul identifies himself. You have a scroll. You don't want to write who you are at the end of it because you have to go all the way to the end of the scroll. No, you put it in the beginning. Hey, this is Paul. And I'm writing to Timothy. So the very first thing Paul says, it's me, it's Paul. And Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name, right? We know that. Uh, but he calls himself here an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We all know that the word apostle means one who is sent. It's an ambassador, one who has the authority and the, and the power, the empowering of the one who is sending them out. And so Paul here is laying down the, the term apostle in the first part of it, because we know that he's going to have to do some correcting. He's going to have to do, do some addressing. Listen, he loves Timothy. We're going to see that. So th it's, this is not so much a personal letter, although it is personal, but it has to carry the weight and the authority of an apostle because he has to tell Timothy to do some things that are difficult in his own life and also in the life of the church and also those in confronting those who are coming against the gospel. And so whoever would be reading this would need to know, Oh, this isn't buddy, Paul. This is the apostle Paul, the one who is sent by the Lord, who's seen the Lord, who has gone through all these things. And he is the one speaking here and writing this letter. And he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Most of you know, again, that back in Acts chapter nine, Saul, Paul, 
was a zealous Pharisee. And he was on his way to Damascus to go persecute Christians as he had been doing. He, excuse me, he oversaw the stoning and the death of Stephen. So he was all business when it came to uh, being a zealous religious person. But what happened is he actually met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him in a blazing light. You can read that in Acts 9. And he also repeats the story a couple more times in the book of Acts And you get the full picture there that Jesus blew him away. And Saul, who was going against persecuting Jesus, he said, Jesus, why why are you persecuting me? To persecute believers is to persecute Jesus. And he takes that very seriously. And also conversely to minister to believers is to minister to Jesus. Very takes that personally as well. And so Paul was changed and then Jesus commissions that one who was against him and now sends him for his purposes to go minister to the Gentiles. Talk about a radical conversion. It's amazing. And although Timothy already knows that Paul was an apostle of Jesus, Paul gives this title because again, he's writing with this authority. Listen, I was sent by the Lord. You know, this Timothy, the ones listening at the church there, they know this, but anyone who's going to be reading this needs to know that it's me. So it's not just a personal letter. It carries the weight of divine instruction. So Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Paul's going to come back to that again. And he's going to unfold that a little bit. But this was according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The reason that Paul was an apostle was because of the gospel. That's what he's saying there. Because of the life that's in Christ Jesus, Paul was sent with a message, the message that dead sinners can receive forgiveness and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That was his message, his death and his resurrection. That's why I've been sent. It's according to I'm an apostle that lines up with the gospel. That is my message. That's my life. John three sixteen. very simply for God. So loved fill in your name that he gave his only son that whomever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And what that tells us is two things. God offers everlasting life through Jesus Christ through faith in him. And it also tells us that if you have not believed, you do not have everlasting life. Two very serious things. And that's what John three is about there. And Paul was a minister of that message. And you can tell that people don't always take kindly to being told that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the father except through him. And he writes there in verse two, Paul tells us who he's writing to. Thank the Lord. It says to Timothy, amen to Timothy. And he calls him my beloved child. We know a lot about Timothy. I've already gone over him in our last passage, but Timothy was Paul's right hand man. He was his son in the faith. He loved him so much. Um, We know that Timothy was half Gentile, half Jew. His, his parents uh, were, you know, mixed faith there. And so his mom was a believer and his fa- his father was a, his mom was a Jewish believer and his, and his father was a Gentile and apparently a non-believer, but he came from the modern day era, area of Galatia, which is Turkey, uh, modern day Turkey in that area. And he came from Lystra 
for those of you who are taking notes. But after coming to faith, Timothy, uh, there's a call of God on him and he gives up everything and just starts to follow Paul everywhere. So he's brought with Paul on his ministry journeys. And as Paul goes ahead and goes in all these places, Timothy grows in his faith and Paul starts to put him in positions where Paul can't be. How many of you wish you had someone like that reflected your heart in circumstances that just got you. And this was, this was Timothy. And so to get a snippet of Paul's love for confidence in Timothy in, in Philippians chapter two, 19 through 24, this is called a letter of recommendation. And by the way, uh, churches often require, say, if I'm going to go preach at a different church, they want to know from the leadership, let's say of this church, that this, this guy's not a Turkey, right? That he's not out on his own. He's not going there to take money and stuff. And so often they would ask for a letter of recommendation. This happens all the time and it's, it's wise, but here's Paul writing to this church. He says in to Philippians, which he obviously started, he says there in, in Philippians 2, 19 to 24, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, but not those of Jesus. But you know, Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with, go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul says, man, I want to be there. I'm going to send you the best thing that you could possibly have besides the apostle Paul. I'm going to send you Timothy. Pretty awesome, huh? So Timothy was close to Paul's heart, served along with him in ministry, was extremely loved by Paul and trusted. That's why he calls him his beloved child. I love that. So Timothy's close to Paul's heart. And at the end of verse two, Paul, as an apostle, he gives Timothy a greeting from the father and from the son. I don't know how about you, but I need to be here this occasionally. How about every day? Grace mercy and peace from God, the father and from Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace, that undeserved unmerited favor from God. That's just how he is and who he is towards us. How many of you reminded of that? God just absolutely has unmerited undeserved favor towards you. Nothing that you've done has earned this. He is just that way and mercy being reminded of Timothy, reminding Timothy of what God has saved him from. God says, I've given, I have grace towards you and I've shown mercy towards you. I've saved you from your sin. Amen. And as a result of that grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus, guess what happens and peace. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace because of God's grace and mercy towards us. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And the context here is that everything that is written by Paul is within that context. Isn't that cool? So how many of you, like when you're getting corrected, would love to know that that's coming from a place of grace, mercy, and peace. <laughs> and when you're getting direction and instruction, it's coming from a place of grace, mercy, and peace in Christ Jesus. That's what's going on here. And so it's all flowing from that. Now with the introductions finished, Paul is going to move 
from there and he's going to start to speak to Timothy. He's going to share with Timothy uh, what he remembers of Timothy as Paul has been thinking about Timothy in prison. Okay. Verse three, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Listen, the part where it says, I thank God, go ahead and, and skip down to, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. That's what he's talking about. I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. That's what Paul is, is, is saying there, but he has a filler in the middle. That's important. As Paul's writing this, remember that he's in some very gloomy conditions, really gloomy conditions, difficult surroundings. He's in chains in a Roman cell and scholars, they paint the picture of Roman cells of is being pretty, it's more like a dungeon, dark, dank, no sanitation. You know, you're at the mercy of everybody around you. Hardly any light. I mean, stinky, all that kind of stuff, poorly lit. And, and, and many describe it as possibly just being an old water cistern, a, a hewn out pit that they would put prisoners in and he's in chains. This is the end of the apostle Paul's life. As Jesus promised, he would suffer. And it is in these circumstances as Paul is facing the end of his life. And I've been with many people as they are at the end of their life. And as is true, you start thinking about the relationships you have. You start thinking about the people you love and start thinking about the things that matter. And these start percolating to the surface. And he's thinking and he's mindful of Timothy, the one who's been closest to him in his ministry. And Timothy is obviously someone Paul has loved deeply. And Paul is just thanking God for him as he's sitting in this pit in difficult circumstances. He's just saying, God, I th- when I think of Timothy, I'm so thankful of him, for him. Thankful for him. I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers, Paul said. And what's going on here is that Timothy is on Paul's mind because Timothy is facing difficult circumstances. Listen, Paul, Timothy's, uh, Timothy's uh, teacher, the one who has brought him up to the faith, the one who's been his right-hand mind is, is now in prison. That's a, a very difficult circumstance. And Timothy is facing difficulties because of the persecution that Paul is facing and because of his identification with Paul and his teaching. How many of you, I mean, you see this all the time in politics. If someone, as soon as someone starts to say something like that doesn't look good, everybody starts to run the other way, right? Whether it's true or not, people start running the other way. And so Right off the bat, Paul wants Timothy to know that although he is locked away and facing death, he wants Timothy to know in that circumstance, listen, Timothy, I have a clear conscience. And that's why he put that middle thing in there. He says, I'm thinking of you, but as I'm thinking of you and reminding, reminded of you, I want you to know I'm sitting here with a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience. And it's important because usually if you get locked up, you've done something wrong. Usually, Right. I mean, usually everybody says I'm innocent, right? But Paul has literally done nothing wrong. It's because Paul served God with a clear conscience. It's because he walked holy and righteously in this world that he was rejected by the world and hated by the world around him. And he was thrown in prison. He was suffering for righteousness sake. And Paul wants Timothy to know that as he served God with that clear conscience, 
and is now suffering just like the long line of godly men before him of men and women before him who had suffered before him that Timothy needs to know this is just what happens to godly people as they follow Jesus. And we can think back to Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about the great men and women of faith who the world was not worthy of. It says in there who often suffered as a result of their faith. As you get into the latter chapter of, of chapter 11, Paul saying, this is the way it is when you follow Jesus in this world. And he's going to capitalize that in just a bit. Well, he says that all who wish to uh, walk godly or, or I'll have to read it, but in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. That's going to happen. It's a promise. It happens. Peter in his first letter in chapter four, first uh, Peter chapter four, beginning in verse 12, he says much to the same effect. He said, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you, what share in the sufferings in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed the cross before the crown, so to speak. The cross comes to us first, then the crown. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. That is not what Christians are to be suffering for. We're not to be suffering, you know, suffering for tax evasion and for uh, military, you know, all this kind of stuff. We, we need to be suffering for the right reasons, for the name of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom, for being righteous in an unrighteous world, being light and in darkness. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What name? The name of Jesus that we bear. Amen. And so Paul reminds Timothy right off the bat that he had a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience, Timothy. And this is key because as we look ahead, uh, we're going to read ahead. We're going to see that some are going to use Paul's imprisonment against him. These false teachers and go, oh, see, look at Paul. He's a mess. Look at what he teaches. Ah, his gospel is all messed up. Start listening to us. And they're going to start pulling people away and siphoning people away. And they're going to use persecution against uh, the ones who hold fast. And Timothy is one of those people. And so at the time of this letter, Paul knows that Timothy is facing great pressure to abandon Paul. But more importantly, the message that Paul preached to abandon Christ. How many of you can relate a little bit as you try to walk righteously in an unrighteous world and the pressure is just coming upon you that you're actually going to have to suffer as you identify with Jesus. And then as we see those who start to suffer and start to follow the Lord, because they will not capitulate to the world standards and all these types of things. What happens? We distance ourselves from them sometimes. I know it gets messy. But Paul wants Timothy to know right off the bat, man, in the midst of being in prison and being in difficult circumstances and facing the end of life, I've got a clear conscience. 
I've done it right. I'm following the Lord. Timothy, keep going. Embrace the suffering. It's coming. In the midst of this imprisonment, he's just sitting there in this pit and he's thanking God for Timothy. That the ministry of Jesus Christ and God's plan is going, it's continuing. The enemy can't stop it. It's going to go on. And we'll get to that. But he wants to remind Timothy by the way of him remembering him of Timothy's call and all this, you know, when you're in difficult times and you're facing persecution, it's, it's important to remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember God's call upon your life, what he's done, the people he's put around you. Don't forget about all that. And I think this is what Paul's doing here. And I think this is very loving of Paul as he senses that Timothy is adrift here as he's, he's sensing that stuff. How many of you feel adrift a little bit? In all of this, you feel like, man, okay, maybe I, you know, I shouldn't think this way. Maybe I should just give in. I think Paul is being loving here and he seeks to bring Timothy back to the truth of who Timothy is in Christ. And there were a few things that Paul wanted Timothy to know about what Paul remembered of him. Firstly, at the end of verse three, Paul remembers Timothy constantly in his prayer day and night. Paul wanted Timothy to know that he prayed for him all the time, that their relationship wasn't broken, that he loved them and that he was lifting them up before God. How many of you have kids and you understand what this is like Timothy being a, a spiritual kid, you know, and he's saying that all, although we're not face to face, and there's a lot of difficulties going on. I'm still thinking of you. I'm still praying for you all the time. And not just saying, Hey, thoughts and prayers. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying thoughts and prayers. He's like, that's all I've got to do is pray for you. And night and day, by the way, I think some people say that it's not as if Paul probably could tell when night, night or day was. It's a, it's a, it's a figure of speech of just all the time I'm praying. And, you know, I feel this way, you know, with my kids, they're, they're always on my mind. I, I bring them before the Lord constantly as this Christine. I know uh, what they're facing sometimes. And sometimes I, I, I only kind of get, have a sense, but often I can see obstacles in their path, you know, things that they're facing, uh, that the enemy and the flesh are being, you know, presenting before them. And I pray for them, pray for their lives. I pray for God's uh, heart and will to be revealed and manifest messed to them that they would see the scriptures, not only read the scriptures, but they would come alive before them. I pray for that for them and that they would hear his voice. They would follow him. They would step out in faith that they would take steps of faith, that they would persevere in faith, that they wouldn't let the fear of being persecuted or the fear of the rejection of the world, stop them from following the Lord. These are the things that, that, you know, you know, as parents that you pray for your kids, you want these things to be wrought in them and to come about. And this is kind of what I see as Paul is a spiritual daddy. He says, I pray for you night and day. I don't stop lifting you up before the Lord. Paul remembers Timothy in his prayers. And secondly, verse four, he remembers his tears. And I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. There is nothing like believers being together. There is no substitute. There's no substitute. 
Apparently when Paul was last with Timothy, there was a tearful parting, whatever the circumstances were, we don't know. But Paul says, man, I I have this seared in my mind. I remember when I left you last, man, I remember your tears. And I kind of go back to Ephesus when he was on the shore with those elders and they just wept over one another because they thought they wouldn't see one another again. But there's a, there's a deep breaking and, and a bond and a longing to be together. That's in Christ Jesus that we have with one another. We don't do well when we're not with one another. We need one another. There's something that happens spiritually within us because guess what? I'm not the body. We're the body. We need each other. And here Paul says, you know, although they might've been separated and all these things, he's saying to him, man, I, I remember your tears and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, man, you bring me joy. In Romans chapter one, Paul speaks this way of the church in Rome. I want to see Rome. Obviously he didn't want to see Rome in this way. God's plans. He always put it in Paul's heart that he would come to Rome, but he didn't necessarily suspect the road of suffering, but he comes to Rome. I mean, he's, he's praying in Romans one. He says, man, I long to be with you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Not just that I would impart something to you, but that I would be mutually edified. I need you. I have something to give and you have something to give me. We're a body. And Paul wanted to see Timothy again because he remembered how edifying Timothy was to him and that relationship they had. He wanted Timothy to be mindful of this as Paul was suffering. Listen, Timothy, don't believe the press about what they're saying about me. Remember us? We're good. This is brotherly love. Paul remembered Timothy in prayer. He remembered Timothy's presence. And then I had to find another P word, but Paul remembers Timothy's faith. And I I just, I knew the word in Greek was pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. So there's three P's, prayer, presence, and pistis. Have fun, everybody. (laughs) Faith. Verse five. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. When I think of you, I think of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you. The faith that Paul remembered in Timothy was sincere. I like what MacArthur says on this. He says that the idea here is speaking of Timothy's total, totally unhypocritical faith. It was a genuine faith. And you know, when you run into a true believer, Timothy had a true faith and Paul reminds Timothy that that faith had a context. Listen, there were people who prayed for you. There were people who came to the Lord before you did your grandmother and your mother, your dad was out of the picture or whatever happened there. But listen, these two beautiful women in the Lord, these Jews that came to faith, this is was first in them and then in you. No doubt these women were praying for Timothy and I don't know how it all came about, but guess what? God came into Timothy's life and Timothy woke up and believed in Jesus and it came about and it was a genuine faith, a sincere faith. Paul says, man, I'm praying for you. I love you. I miss you. We have a relationship. 
I long to be with you. Look at what, where you came from. Look how God called you. Look how he brought you up. Look what he was doing in your family. All these types of things. He's reminding them of who he was, his relationships in the Lord, all that kind of stuff. Now, what, what is Paul doing here in writing to Timothy about all these things? What is he, why is he doing that? Not only affection, but he's going to turn around on Timothy. He's reminding him of who he is because Timothy's forgotten who he was. Verse six. And for this reason, because of your sincere faith, because you are Christ, because that's who you are. How many of you go, man, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, Jesus was Jewish, right? That's all right. I got you. You hear me, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) but for this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame, the gift of God. I want you to remember who you are. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What Paul is doing here, by the way of remembering Timothy and being thankful before God is he's reminding Timothy of his call by God through Paul into the ministry. Listen, Timothy, I thank God for you. I pray for you constantly. I miss you. I'm edified by you. We have a deep bond in Jesus. You have godly relationships. You have godly heritage in your life. You have a sincere faith. I laid hands on you. The elders and I laid hands on you. We saw the gift of God in you. There's a context because the elders were there too. They lay hands and called you into the ministry that you were called to Timothy. This is who you are. Now, Timothy, don't let the gift that God has entrusted to you. Don't let the calling that God has called you to don't let it become stagnant. Don't let it atrophy. Don't stop. Spirit, you know, speak to your church. Amen. Speak to me. What has God gifted you with? Have we let it atrophy? Have we let it stop? Have we let it for whatever reason go dormant? What does he say here? No, don't let that happen. Fan the flame, exercise it, use it according to the sincere faith that you have. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. Read first Corinthians 12 through 14. It talks about all the giftings we have there all the way from leadership gifts, all the way to the gifts of prophecy and, and it goes into tongues and goes all this stuff and read Romans 12. All these gifts are graces manifested to us. Peter says for mutual edification. I'm not the whole enchilada or enchilada or however you're supposed to pronounce it. <laughs> right. Amen. God's gifted you. God's given you gifts. He's given you a call. He's pulled you out of darkness and given you his spirit for the things and the purposes that glorify him. Fan those into the flame. Amen. Why for verse seven, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control Timothy. 
The reason Paul would have to exhort Timothy in this is because Paul suspected and knew that Timothy was no longer stepping into his call because of fear. What keeps us from evangelizing? What keeps us from serving or ministering and all this type of stuff? What keeps us from speaking the truth when everybody's talking darkness? Verse eight and nine. Fear of what? Here's Timothy's context. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Timothy had become fearful of suffering, and that was contrary to the testimony of Jesus and testimony of Paul by way of Jesus. Do you know the word testimony? I just, this is fun. The word testimony is the word martyrion in the Greek. I know we're having fun. <laughs> Where do you think mart- martyrion sounds like? What word? Martyr. Guess what word came first? Martyr or testimony? Testimony came first. The word martyr came out of the word testimony. They just took the Greek version and actually was associated with someone who spoke on behalf of God. Because when you testify of Jesus Christ, guess what ends up happening to you? You suffer and many died. Therefore the word martyr just became its own deal. Don't be ashamed of the suffering of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of Paul. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of those associated and ministering the gospel. These, these are our people. This is our tribe. This is our kingdom. That's our King. Amen. Amen. Yes. Jesus's testimony. He came and proclaimed What did he proclaim? He proclaimed that everybody must repent. You must turn from sin and believe upon God's one and only son through his death and resurrection. And this led him to suffering and dying on the cross. Obviously it was God's divine plan all along, but the the reaction of the world to that testimony, the light coming to the darkness was what rejection stamp out the light. Paul followed in Jesus's footsteps This is what it is to follow Christ in this world. It results in persecution, doesn't it? And now Timothy, who was Paul's right-hand man, was feeling the heat. He was feeling the heat because he was next in line. He was feeling it. It was creeping it in. And the Timothy's temptation was to be ashamed. means I don't want to associate with that anymore. I'd rather keep my own life. I think we can relate, can't we? And the pressure that Timothy faced also had to do with the fact, as we're going to read later, people who once followed Jesus were now abandoning ship because the cost of following him became realized. And Paul's going to say in chapter three, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise. If he was a hated, we'd be hated. Jesus said to his disciples, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they listen to me, they're listening to you. Paul had to remind Timothy, you have a sincere faith. 
Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of those suffer who suffer because of it, but rather do what? Share in the suffering. Embrace it. This culture teaches us to avoid suffering at all costs. And here Paul is telling Timothy, join me, join Jesus. This is join those who've gone before us. Embrace your call, Timothy. Have a clean conscience. Have a clean conscience. The spirit that God has given you is not a spirit that holds back from suffering. It's not giving into fear. That's not the spirit that God has given us church. That's not from the Lord. It's not saying we willingly run into bullets for fun. That's not it. Saying we honor Christ. That's where we draw the line. We follow him. And if that leads us into suffering, it leads us into suffering. Amen. The same spirit that was in Christ is in the hearts of believers. The same spirit that drove him to the cross and to glorify God. The same spirit that's in us. The spirit that God has given believers is not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control, a dynamic power. That word power is dunamos. It means dynamite. How many of you are fearful to share your faith? How many of you are fearful at work? How many of you are fearful? You need a power that is not your own. That is the power of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy spirit that he has given us as believers. It is ours. We need to lean into him. We need to let him do his work in us. He's there to empower us. And notice it's a spirit of love. It's not motivated by hate. It's motivated by love, love for God. First of all, love for the brothers and love for the lost. Amen. And self-control. You don't have to give in to your emotions. You don't have to give in to the fear. The fruit of the spirit is love and also self-control. Amen. So Paul calls Timothy to trust in God and not only to give, not to give into fear, but rather to persevere in suffering along with him. That's a lot there. I think I'm going to stop because then I'm going to get into who saved us by and called us to a holy calling and uh, all that stuff. Listen, as things get crazy on this earth and as we are starting to see the erosion of civility, as we're starting to see more and more the, um, this open hostility in towards the gospel, towards Christ. We want to make sure we're suffering for the right things. Amen. First of all, secondly, it's okay to suffer. God is faithful. And that's what he's going to start talking about. He's going to start talking about how God saved you, how God called you, how God 
has purposes and plans that he established long before you were even around out of your control. God had these thoughts going on. And then God also has the power. He manifested those things in time. God had the power to manifest those things in time. Jesus came into time and space and he called Paul to be a minister of those gospels. And that's why he's suffering because God's plan is working out. Don't go against it. Timothy lean into it. God's in control and just, and he's going to pivot to the very end. He's going to say, listen, just as God has this plan going on, he's going to be faithful to guard what he's entrusted to us until that day. But nevertheless, as he tells him that God, that Paul says, I, I, I trust God to guard me until that day. Then he flips around Timothy. Now he tells him, now you guard what God's entrusted to you. <laughs> You've got that beautiful tension in scripture. So church, persevere in suffering. It's okay to suffer. Let's suffer together. Amen. Amen. For his glory. And in the end, and in the end, what happens is that God will make good on his promise to bring us to glory. New heavens, new earth, no sin, no darkness, no suffering. Wipe away every tear. Hang on. Cross first then the crown. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your precious word. May it go deep into our hearts. May we embrace what you've laid out for us. To your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen.